Hello and welcome back to RocketPod, the brand new podcast where we are deconstructing visionary stories from across all different industries and sharing them with you guys, our awesome listeners at home. My name is Harry Damon. Of course, I'm joined by Mr. James Cuss and producer Peter Haynes. Now, for today's episode, we are joined by a good friend of mine, Mr. Matt Turner. Now, Matt is an entrepreneur investor and he is the founder of The Creative Group. Now, Matt has mentored me for the last few years. Um, He's the co-founder also of Young Startup Talent, which is a competition that I entered. So I'm excited to bring him on the mic today and share with you his story. I think we should get this going. Good morning, Matt. How you doing? I'm well, Harry. How are you? All good, thank you. All good. Um, So, Matt, to start us off, could you go back and share with the audience a bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up for you? Good question. Where did it all start? So, I mean, you know, I, I, I... I really wanted to get into work from a really young age, to be fair. And um, for school, you know, for me, school was a bit like community service. You know, I was pretty good at it, but I knew why I had to go and I couldn't wait to finish it. And, um, you know, I I grew up in Crawley in West Sussex uh, with a brother and a sister and, you know, in a semi-detached house on on an average council estate type thing, you know. So I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon, shall we say. Um, but at a very, very young age, I realized I wanted to go into creative services, predominantly as a graphic designer. Um, and uh, and that's really how I started. And and what I actually ended up doing from from about the age of about 13, 14, I used to commute to London in every single school holiday. And I used to do work experience at the Football Association when they were based in Bayswater. They were at Craven Terrace. I never forget it. And uh, I remember, you know, commuting up to London on the train, having a bag of 50p's, calling my mum when I got to the station, to, you know, till I got there, calling her when I got the underground. Um, and literally, as all my friends were enjoying their their summer holidays and school holidays, I was working in the creative studio at the Football Association and really just getting huge amounts of of experience and, um, and just contacts and knowledge, really because I knew what was coming and uh, I knew community service would be ending and I wanted to go out to the big wide world. Um, and the interesting thing is, is I, I was sort of a, an average A grade B student. You know, I didn't really have to revise or try very hard and I came out all right. But I was so focused, even at a, you know early teenage years, um, of going into business and doing my own thing. Um, and I would always try little side hustles here and there to, to make extra money. Um, but actually, it, was, it really kind of started, I would say, eight months before I, uh, I left school after my GCSEs. So I was still working in London and my work experience. Um, and then what I decided to do was I wrote to about 100 companies that were within a 15-minute walking distance on the main line, London to Brighton line. And they're all designed for print companies. I wrote to them and I said, look, this is who I am. This is what I've been doing. I leave school in eight months' time. Um, I want a job. And uh, I'll work the first month for free. And if you like me, I want £6,000 a year. And I thought at the age of 6, 15, 16, 500 quid a month is not a bad start. And lo and behold, a company interviewed me. They took me on. I did some freelance work for them whilst I'm revising for my GCSEs uh, and getting paid for it. And then literally my last exam was on a Thursday and my first start date was on the Monday. And I went straight into this company at, at 15, 16 um, and started at the bottom, a traditional design for print company. Started straight at the bottom learning about, you know, some of the geeky side and technical side of, of design for print, essentially. 
And that was back in the day when printing in full color was still a luxury. And it makes me sound unbelievably old. Um, but, you know, we're going back to literally the year 2000. You know, that's the year I left school. So <clears throat> I worked for these guys oh, for the best part of about 18 months. And um, I was sacked. That was the job number one. So at 17, I was sacked because I didn't quite like the way the company was being run, to be honest. The guy who ran it was a bit of a draconian idiot. And some of the other people that worked there were complete and utter donuts. So I thought they were far better than they were. And I guess looking back, you know, you come across this sort of 15, 16 year old who thinks they know it all. I was probably deserved to be sacked in fairness. Um, and from there, I got another job in East Grinstead, again for a design for print company, um, ran by a mother and son. Very interesting dynamic to work for. Very strange. And um, yeah, I was, I was, it was a toxic environment. Um, and uh, I worked for these guys for about a year. Really interesting stuff. I, I even learned how to make printer's plates and, you know, run film in a dark room. And, you know, I'm 17 years old at the time, really learning my art. And I remember I was on 11 grand a year. Um, and I worked out that I was generating the company about £100,000 a year. So I went to the boss, asked for a pay rise. Uh, and funnily enough, I asked for £17,000 a year. So I wanted a six grand pay rise, quite ballsy, I guess, back then. And when, um, he asked me why I thought I, I warranted that sort of fee. One, I said, well, it's because of the amount of revenue I'm generating for the company. And two, I think I'm worth £1,000 for every year I've been alive on the planet. That was, that was my genuine you know, re resonation behind it. So he refused to give me a pay rise. And again, I um, probably, you know what it's like when you're young and you know, maybe frustrated. I sort of flipped out and you know, said that was outrageous and how dare they. And lo and behold, I got sacked again. There you go, number two. Um, so uh, at that point, I kind of went back to the drawing board. And I remember I, I, at this point, I was just about to turn 18 and I wanted to work in London. Like I, I really wanted to work in London. Don't ask me why, I must have been crazy. And I was so adamant on wanting to work in London. It had to be for a company that had an 0207 number. I mean, how, how bonkers is that? If it was 0208, it wasn't proper London. It had to be 0207 West End in the action. And um, I ended up landing this job for, again, another design for print business, family run um, in Battersea. And did the same thing. Said, look, I worked the first month for free. And then on 18 grand a year. Let's go with a thousand pounds a year. But it did dawn on me quite quickly. I wasn't going to live to a million. So my, my mathematics might need to change over the coming years. And, you know, I was an average designer, if I'm fair, looking back. Maybe I'm maybe even below average. But what I was very good at was talking to people and engaging with customers and, you know, yeah, having that ability to look at a, a customer's business and, um, and tell them what to do with it and how to make it come alive and how to be super creative. And clients really bought into that. They really liked it. And within, I must have been within about 18 months, I was running the sales for this company. You know, we were turning about three and a half million a year, um, traditional design for print. But the company was full of dickheads. It, you know, I reckon we're talking about a four to one ratio. I mean, there's only kind of 35, 40 people in the business. You've only got nine allies because the rest are absolute idiots. And I, you got to remember, this was 
This was 2005, 2006. You know, the world is sort of changing and going for a real digitization like we'd never ever seen before. And I remember it was Friday, the 31st of March, 2006. We had a board meeting and I, I put a presentation to the board that I wanted to terminate the employment of, a, of about 60% of the dickheads. And I wanted to start a digital team. I wanted about £65,000. wanted to start a digital team because I thought, you know, this is, you know, Google AdWords was just starting, you know, really kind of up and coming. And um, guess what happened? They sacked me. Insubordination. How dare I be so outrageously outlandish when they've been doing it this way for 20 years? Um, you know, this is when everyone was still using Lycos. And people would still come into your office and pay you £3 per megabyte to use your ISDN. I mean, you know, we're really going back here, even though it's not that long ago. Um, so on the 1st of April, I, just start, I started Creative Pod. 1st of April 2006, I started Creative Pod in my second bedroom. I was 20. I'd just bought my first flat. I had six grand in the bank and I'd been sacked three times. Um, I had no clients and no portfolio, and I was starting a digital marketing agency or a creative agency. And all I was going to do was outsource all the print because I knew print, do the design myself, averagely, and then outsource any web design and things like that. It was good. It was really good. I decided, I wrote a list of all the things the idiots I'd worked for in the past had did, and if they turned left, I turned right. And all the things I'd wanted to do in their businesses I actually ended up doing with my own. And I started out hustling, winning work. I remember my first job was for a guy called Lee Greenwood. He was a boxing promoter and he had a big fight up at the Effingham and it was about £1,200 worth of services. It was design of a program and it was all the printing of the program. Delivered it. Yeah, good night. Paid me by cheque and the cheque bounced like a Super Bowl. I've still got the check. And uh, my first ever paid job bounced out the window. So that was my, my welcome to the entrepreneurial world. Um, that was shit, if I'm honest. And um, yeah, it was what a bad start. And that taught me some very, very valuable lessons. And very quickly, I built the business up to, you know, the best part of three, 350, 400 grand turnover within about 18 months. Um, and moved into serviced offices in Base Point in Crawley, started in a broom cupboard. And as I grew, we got more and more and more space. And, um, and really, that was the beginning. So I'd grown, by about 2008, we'd grown, I'd grown it to a, the best part of it, about 350, 400k turnover. And then this thing called a recession struck. I really didn't know what that meant. And I guess sometimes naivety can be one of the one, most wonderful gift somebody can give you actually um because i carried on i just carried on didn't really know what it meant i didn't have huge overheads and i was still learning and crafting my trade and um my biggest client was about 65 70 percent of my turnover at the time which is you know it's, it's often the case and um recession hit they relocated to manchester they shut their marketing team they brought all their into external services internal i mean it was hell on earth and all of a sudden I'm high and dry. You know, I am in a very tough situation. So I ended up going on holiday to Dubai. And whilst on holiday, ended up winning a £100,000 project. I, should, I, I kid you not, 100 grand project. 
and I had to deliver it in 11 days in two languages with a colleague of mine. And um, we ended up signing the contract, which said we wouldn't get paid a penny unless we delivered all of the printed production material, the whole lot. And I had about 10 grand left in the bank. Um, and well, maybe a little bit more, but not, not a huge amount more. And, um, and we ended up delivering it. And we ended up bloody, you know, getting paid and staying out there for the best part of two years and working on some incredible projects. And if you can imagine back then in 20, 2008, 9, 10, Dubai was still being built, you know. Atlantis was just opening, you know, the game was really changing. And um, it was, a, it was a, a real tipping point for me because it enabled me to learn more skills, to, you know, meet new people, um, and to be really in the thick of it and fighting for myself without any support as well. You know, really just going for it. And then, you know, in 2010, I came back to the UK and was up for Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Now, at this point, I didn't have any staff, no staff whatsoever. It was just literally me in a box. And I was, I don't know, 24, 25, something like that. Um, and I, there was not a chance in hell I was going to win. The other candidates were literally, they were so good. And cut a long story short, I ended up winning. And a very drunken award ceremony, a journalist interviewed me and said, you know, what are you going to do next? And I said to her, why don't you quit your job and we'll start a business together. And um, lo and behold, she did. And we ended up starting a community interest company called Young Startup Talent. And, you know, YST inspires 16 to 25-year-olds to start their first business. And that was for our headline partner. There's a 50 grand prize every year. And we've had the best part of 350, 360 kids come through it and start their limited company, Harry being one of them. Um, and I was adamant we'd only do it once. Um, you've got to remember back in 2010, young entrepreneurs were still criminals. They weren't cool. And, um, and we delivered it on a literally shoestring budget. And I wrote to all the sponsors afterwards and said, thanks ever so much. Yeah, I told you it was a great success and thank you ever so much. That's the end of that. And they all wrote back to me and said, look, we've got to continue this. It was really engaged in and inspiring and all the rest of it. Um, and I quoted them a figure thinking they would think I was taking the, the piss a little. And they said, yeah, great, let's go and we'll book you for two years. I was like, oh, no. And then every time we grew, it was somebody wanting us to take it to a different part of the country. And we tried to politely quote ourselves out of it. And every time they said, yeah, that's great, let's go. And I couldn't believe it. So something that was meant to be literally a one-trick pony ended up you know, being around for, for 10 years and is still going today. And that's been a real force of good in the community. It's opened up a huge amount of doors. It's changed people's lives. And I still bump into them today where they've been through the process and they came out the other end and started their business. And some of them are making millions, the buggers, um, including Harry. So, you know, it's, that's been a really rewarding and um, self-fulfilling process and one of the things I'm really passionate about is yeah you could call me an entrepreneur but I, I, I kind of see myself more as a, as a social entrepreneur you know every single time I've made money I've always put it back into the community and as a business we have probably raised the best part of a million pound for businesses across Sussex uh, and I'm also a patron for Chestnut Tree House the only end of life children's hospice in Sussex so yeah, you know, it's a role that I'm really, really proud of, and all the good work we do for the for those charities is, um, you know, it's good, it's important. And I don't believe you should do charitable work just to alleviate your tax bill. I think you should, uh, as you're making your money, because it gives you a legacy, and um, and I think it, you know, enables people to look at you somewhat differently.
when it when it came to startup young startup talent, what was the initial inspiration for the idea? Uh, how did you come up with the idea? And then has the I know I know it, you know it started out as a one one trick pony as you mentioned, but then it evolved into something much bigger. Um, but how has that idea evolved since the very first you know inception of the idea? It's interesting. I mean, back then we were talking you know ten years ago. I think I wanted to prove a point, and you know there's there was a lot of negativity around young people. And I wanted to see if you could go and find the next young entrepreneur, that next me, if that made sense. Um, and I, and the other thing is, is at the time I was really conscious that here I was 24, 25, super aggressive in terms of wanting to be successful and grow a business and do great things. And I think sometimes that came across as a little bit capitalist. I mean, the premise to Young Startup Talent has never changed is to empower young people and give them all of the contacts and knowledge that education can't and that teachers can't. And, you know, you don't need money to be successful in business, but you do need friends in interesting places. Uh, I really like that. I really like um, your um, philosophy as far as giving back and this, 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 this interest in social business um, giving back to the community and actually doing it. Um, and then your comments around capitalism. I mean, you know, a lot of folks misinterpret entrepreneurs thinking that you know, they're just chasing the money, but it's much more than that. It's very personal. Um, can you talk about, about um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, your emotional relationship with your businesses um, and, yeah, and more about the social element, um, you know, and, and what you've experienced out there, you know, the folks that, you know, might um, you know donate to charity for a tax write-off, but could you just kind of talk about the difference between what you're doing uh, and what um, what a lot of others do? I think it comes down to sincerity. You can't just do charitable things because you either want to save some money or you want to look good, because people see straight through it. Yeah, you know, it's just so transparent, and um, it's just not the right thing. And not just it's just not the right approach. So sincerity is really important and things that you're passionate about, things you genuinely care about. Um, and, I, and I think as well, the other thing is I'm a marketing man. I'm a PR man, you know, cut me in half and, you know, through and through. So you've got to realize, you know, to support charities, it's a two-way relationship as well. The more you do for them, the more they do for you. Charities have really good corporate partnerships. So they introduce you to their corporate partners. You've got something in common. You sign them on as a client. and you know, the other thing is, is that they have fantastic PR and marketing teams. Charities have some of the most resourceful PR people I've met and they want good content. And then you join up the dots and you get free PR out of it as well. So everybody's winning. And I'm really passionate when I do deals that everybody has to leave that deal happy. And if they're not, the deal's not done. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an awesome way of looking at the outcome of the deal, uh, making sure that all kind of parties are happy. I also really like all the amount of charitable work that you do, especially for Chestnut Tree House, St. Barnabas, and the fact that it is for the right reasons as opposed to that tax avoidance. Um, okay, so could we discuss a bit more on the topic of where Creative Pod is now? And could you share maybe some of the ideas of where it's going to be going in the upcoming years? Yeah, I mean, fast forward all those years. So we're a team of 15 of us, or soon to be 15, we're recruiting a couple more people. And our business model is really simple. We become our clients' marketing department for a fixed month of PP. Um, so our clients outsource all of their marketing, their social media, their PR, their email campaigns, web updates, the design of all their literature, and they pay a fixed monthly fee every month 
It's cheaper than employing a half-baked apprentice. And the only thing they know they've got to top up is any advertising or printing or production budget. So for the cost of a very relatively small amount of money, they can have a full-service creative team that joins up all the dots, that integrates with the business, that works to KPIs and objectives. And we've got some really talented people in the business. And I would actually say, I'd go as far as saying the team we have now is probably the most experienced, talented, and qualified team the company's ever had. We've got an amazing team and a great team culture as well. Really good team culture. I'd like to take this moment to introduce to you our sponsor, Flexi, the must-have app to track and manage your subscriptions in one place. So most of us have multiple subscriptions nowadays for things like streaming services, gym memberships and food deliveries. These are great and take the hassle out of buying everyday products that we consume regularly, but it can be hard to keep track of them. That's where Flexi comes in handy, using super secure technology to connect your accounts to see all your subscriptions in a single dashboard, putting you in control of your spending. And what's more, Flexi's subscription marketplace allows you to discover new products you may love, or easy to pause, resume, or cancel in a swipe or two. So give Flexi a try, it's free to download from the App Store, or check out their website at www.flexiapp.uk. That's F-L-E-X-Y app.uk. Back to the podcast. Amazing, so sack three times 420, but now 15 strong. So I guess with this becomes the requirement for motivation. Now, have you always been this motivated? And maybe in your journey, have you had some maybe knockbacks or mental health issues? Um, could you actually touch on this subject and share with the audience, maybe if you've had any, any of these issues and how you overcame them? It's an interesting question. I mean, I, I guess I've lived my career quite publicly for a long, for 15 years. It's been, you know, been very public you know always in the press on radio whatever it may be so i guess over time you create an alter ego so when people chuck mud at you know the matter at work or you know take you know you lose on a deal or something happens you know you don't take it to heart and i think as well over a period of time you learn not to take work home with you you leave it at the door and that's something that again has taken a long long time to kind of learn the mental health side of things um i think i've ever really struggled with with that I mean, don't get me wrong, there are days where I would quite like to batter somebody. You know, there are days where, you know, you hate the world and you just think, why the hell am I doing this? But they're very short-lived because it's like a game. You know, business is just a game of snakes and ladders. And you start at one and you want to get to 100. And sometimes you get to 78 and have to go back down to 55. And if you understand, if you understand it's just a game. And as long as you don't ever make a, a move in the game that will kill you, then you've really got nothing to worry about. Never ever worry about things you can't change or influence because you're just wasting brain power. And never hold grudges as well because it's like yeah, you know, it's like letting someone live in your brain rent free, and I can't be having that. So, you know, that the mental health side of things, I think um, I think entrepreneurs are quite resilient. I think they're, you know they're naturally very resilient because they have to deal with the highs, which are brilliant, but also the lows are quite self-destroying at times. And I've been quite fortunate, I guess, that I've had roles in my career where it's given me different opportunities to toughen up and to learn new skills. So like for three years, I was co-owner of Crawley Town Football Club, you know, from 2013 to 2016. And 
co-owning a League One, League Two professional football team at that age with that level of experience, that puts things into a whole new perspective when you have to turn up on a rainy Thursday night to a fans forum and there's 300 blokes that want to kick your head in because the burger buns are stale, you know? And that makes you resilient and it teaches you new skills. And when you can then transfer that into your you know, normal business life, it just makes you stronger and tougher. Um, but I'm not too worried about losing per se because I know I've got the ability to win. So I quite like to know why I lost. That's really important. Um, but the mental health side, I've been really fortunate. And I guess I've been, I'm super driven. You know, I'm unbelievably driven. So, and I'm very competitive as well, as you probably can tell. Which is why I like to see it as a game of snakes and ladders. Where does this drive come from, Matt? So can you pinpoint it? Um, have you always had it? I mean, it sounds like you had it when you were in your, your teens before you left school. You already knew that you wanted to go out in the working world. Um, where do you think it comes from? Can you, did you have um, um, you know, good emotional support when you were younger? Or you know, can you talk a bit about where you think your drive come, comes from? I felt like, I guess looking back, I think I always felt, um, yeah, I was a bit of a misfit. Like, even down to little things, like, as kids, me and my brother and sister would nag our parents to take us to Chessington World of Adventures and the August Bank holiday. And we were never taken because the answer was, oh, no, it'll be packed. But I always sat there thinking, well, if every parent says it's going to be packed and they don't go, who's going? No one's going to be there, you know? So I guess my brain always kind of thought about things a little bit differently. and I think when so many people, when you've got dreams and aspirations and you want to be something, I think, you, you know, if people beat you down, there's only two ways of going. You either get beaten down and, be, you know, become a nothing or you get a bit of a chip on your shoulder and a bee in your bonnet and you try and prove them otherwise. You know, I can even remember at one point my design technology teacher at school telling me, oh, you'll never get into the design industry because you need two years' experience. Uh, so and I was like... Well, how does everybody else get into it? Well, they do become teachers first, you know? So I, I guess when you're surrounded by those sort of people, you either rise above it and, you know, drive forward or you succumb to it, I guess. That's really interesting. I mean, if you do everything else that everyone else, if you do everything what everyone else does, you're going to get what everyone else has got. And, you know, it sounds like that's not what you wanted. You wanted something different for yourself. So one question that I wanted to touch on was, about lessons. Now, you've obviously had a lot of lessons in terms of getting rejected from those jobs at the beginning. You've had a lot of lessons in terms of growing Creative Pod. Would you be able to share what is the probably biggest lesson that you've learned? Yeah, I would say don't trust anybody. And you've had experiences of this? Yeah, I think I don't think there's a person in business who hasn't, whether it be employees, business partners, family, friends, you know, um, success and wealth and all the byproducts of success are amazing if they're in the right hands but sometimes you know it can be a, a burden to bear actually because people change that's the other thing people change um so you know i think you should just look at stuff with caution so not trusting anyone that that's a starting point um but it sounds like you've built a really successful team that you do trust so you're not you're not saying don't trust anyone. You're saying that's the starting point, um, and then trust is then built by I guess by delivering. I guess or um, can you talk talk a bit about that? Well, the thing about trust, it tr- trust can really only work in two ways. 
you either give somebody 100% of your trust and over time they disappoint you and it slowly reduces like battery power until there's nothing left and they're no longer in your life. Or you give somebody no trust and over time they build it and they earn it and, you know, the rest is history. So, you know, I, I think trust ha has to be earned because it's too important. Uh, it's too it's too important of a chemical connection between two people to give it away freely. Okay, that's good. I mean, so you, you're actually turning a negative into a positive. Yeah, trust is more more valuable than money itself. You know, I've got I've worked with people who are incompetent but extremely trustworthy, and they are far better than somebody who's a mm -hmm. superstar but a liar. It's, have you have you ever read the book Speed of Trust by Stephen R. Covey? No. He's the, he's the son of Stephen Covey, who wrote the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And basically, he explains that when, when trust is present, obviously, you can get things done much more efficiently and, and faster and better. Um, but of course, you've got to build that trust. So I wanted to touch on decisions. Now, you've obviously made a lot of decisions throughout your journey so far, whether that be starting Creative Group, applying for that first job, starting Young Startup Talent. Would you be able to bring that down and share with the audience probably the biggest decision that you've made so far? You know, there are so many decisions that you make, big ones and small ones, that have really defining outcomes. Um, but for me, I guess when I look back over the years and you know, all the people I've met and done business with and employed and all the rest of it, is very few business owners know whether their business has cancer or not until it's too late and then when it's too late you know what's going to happen and i think every business has cancer just some businesses have more than others and some businesses in more critical places than others and the key i think i've learned and it's the hardest thing to do is the minute you realize something in the business is cancer it has to be cut out and it's got to be cut out quick and fast without hesitation no matter how much it hurts you or how painful it is and then you put the business through chemo and you get out of it and you come out the other side. And when you do come out the other side, you're in such a better space. And I think there are a lot, I've come across a lot of business owners who are too scared to do that. And they know they've got toxic people or toxic customers and they have to be removed. Even if you've got toxic friends and toxic family, they have to be removed. And the more of those people you remove, the more successful you become. I'm interested in, for our listeners, to understand what is a dickhead. Obviously, you've talked about naysayers, people that are closed-minded um, and untrustworthy. So is there any other, I guess, description you'd describe of a dickhead? Because dickhead's quite a broad, um, you know, it's a broad description. Um, but have I covered it there? Or is, it, is there anything more you'd want to add? Well, I think different dickheads look different to different people, don't they? You know, someone who's a dickhead for me might be your best mate. And, uh, and I think the thing around that is, we all know what a dickhead is. Even if you can't quite describe it, you just know. And, and I think that the thing for me is that it's very easy to determine whether somebody's a dickhead or not. And, the, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's your gut. That tells you whether someone's a dickhead or not. Um, and, and your gut is something that's such a valuable tool that people don't use. Now, there's a reason you feel that way when you get that gut instinct or that gut feeling. And for me, my, my, my gut instinct is everything my eyes can't see. 
might you know that gut instinct can and people should listen to that gut instinct because there's a reason why they feel that way and and that's why i feel like in business you should never ever have any regrets whether you succeeded whether you failed you know whether you've done good whether you've done you should never ever ever have any regrets because there was a reason you made that decision whether it be knowledge experience money environment you know there was a reason for it and the other the other thing about the no dickheads is that it also applies to me you know we can all be dickheads at times and sometimes you know you have to remember that yourself as well so you just touched on the fact that in business you shouldn't have any regrets whether that be if you do fail whether you are successful you end the day you make a decision kind of for a reason and this is something that you shouldn't regret now we're currently just coming out the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic where we've been through lockdown now this has hit a lot of businesses very hard now would you be able to maybe share with the audience what your experiences with the creative group has been like over the last three four five months um, what decisions you've really had to make but also then looking forward um, where is the creative group going to go what's the vision yeah, I mean, you know, over the last six months, we've done three acquisitions. Um, two of them have been investments in, into companies within the creative industry who have joined the group and they've had access to our clients and we market them and tweak their business models and their pricing and grow them and have done some really great things. I mean, one of them has grown by about 35% in the last six months since we've got involved with them. So what that is, is looking at our supply chain and looking at marketing as a subject matter. Uh, what aren't we doing what's next where are the pitfalls what are we outsourcing and you know if i can own a chunk of my supply chain i've got a margin on it and then a dividend and hopefully an exit that's a really sensible strategy to have plus it means i'm able to provide more value to our existing clients and for me value when you're a service-based business and you're effectively selling something that's completely utterly non-tangible providing value is the most important thing an agency can do with its client and value looks like different, looks completely different to different people. So when we work with people, we understand what value means to them and what value looks like. Um, and that's really, really important, that value proposition and that value piece. And it's where a lot of agencies fall short. So by being able to offer that, we can grow, we can cross-sell, we are stronger in numbers. Um, and now I've got a really nice kind of investment blue chip model. I've got a really nice investment model where I've created a facility that basically enables burnout agency owners to get off the treadmill and to get off the merry-go-round. So I am on the process of, of hoovering up small one to half a million pound turnover marketing agencies where the owner just wants to get off the treadmill. And when you take out the owner and you take out some of the fixed overheads and costs, all of a sudden you've got a phenomenally profitable business. Um, so I've completed on a, our latest acquisition was two weeks ago, and that was we, we took 100% of a, an agency in Forest Row, um, and have moved, you know, moving all their clients into Creative Pod, which is great and really re rewarding. And already in two weeks, you know, we're, we're winning work and we're cross-selling into the group and lots of other exciting things and providing them with more value which is great and that's the whole purpose of it so over the next sort of 18 24 months i'd like to see us do probably another three three acquisitions over that period um and to carry on doing all the good charity work we're doing and all the, all the really good community work we're doing that's really important what was your other question how you were saying about covid yeah it was just touching on the subject of covid19 and how you, your family, your business have 
managed to adapt and get through this quite difficult time? It's a really interesting question because I feel a bit guilty when it comes to COVID because, you know, it's, it's had such catastrophic effects on the economy, on people's lives, family, mental health, infrastructure, what have you. Um, but selfish when I think about myself and the bubble that I'm in, it's been a really valuable opportunity for me. You know, there's been things I've always wanted to fix within the business, but I've never been able to do it. And COVID has given me an environment where I can. So things like staff culture and team camaraderie and the whole company being super focused and rowing together, you know, it's very hard to get those cogs all spinning and working and rowing together in a normal working environment. But with everything that's happened with COVID, the shit's got real, isn't it? And, you know, the whole team has banded together. They've gone way over and above and delivered for clients. We've also gone to a massive effort with our team, you know, looking after them, sending them treats in the post, you know, making them feel valued and not having to worry or be anxious about your paycheck and all those sort of things. Um, and that has really changed the team dynamics. It's increased productivity. Um, and I think also for the first time in my career, the team that works with me actually understands what I do for a living. You know, that Santa just doesn't deposit cash at the end of every month that pays all the bills and salaries. Someone actually goes and gets that work and talks to those clients and, you know, sells that business. So, you know, it's been really valuable from that perspective. Our clients have been wonderful to us. They've been super supportive. I mean, 90% of our clients are on retainer. And I think over the last three months, only three clients have paused their retainer. And two of those three are very large clients of ours that have spent a fortune over the last couple of years. And I rang their CEOs up and said, look, we'll continue for the next two months for free for you. You know, I don't want to lose the momentum. You know, we've got a good relationship. I value the money you've spent with us. And for the sake of two months worth of, of fees, you know, it's a, a, sm a small price to pay. And they couldn't believe that. And we're very happy. So, you know, it's been great. It is, and it's been positive. It's been tiring. It's been super tiring because the day never seems to stop. And in a normal environment, I would do, say, four meetings a day with traveling and all the rest of it. And now I'm doing eight, nine, ten, one hour, you know, Zoom calls. So I'm being far more productive and getting through so much more. Um, but it has it takes its toll, doesn't it? It's not it's not easy, and you have to adapt and you know go with the flow a little bit. But it's the, if I wrote a list of all the positives and all the negatives, for me and my bubble, there's more positives than there are negatives so I'm, i feel very fortunate and very blessed to be in that sort of a position because i know it could be a lot worse when i look at other agencies across sussex who are going down to four day weeks and who are you know making half the team redundant and and, and the like so now i'm very very fortunate as to where we are and and how well we've kind of weathered the storm so that's a lot, a lot of that's a mindset isn't it i mean obviously you it, it's it's a really inspiring message uh, you know, you've got a choice. You either become the victim of these situations, or you look at look at the opportunities. And clearly, you've just demonstrated from what you've described as you know, just focusing on the opportunities. And your team's coming closer together. Um, everyone's focused on delivering. You're able to show your clients what you're made of. Um, I'm sure they knew that anyway. But it, it just you know, you're putting your money where your mouth is, and you're you're helping your team and you're helping your clients. That's really good. It's it's funny because I've I've experienced a similar similar kind of um this experience just everyone coming together and productivity going up yeah it's been incredible it has and you know it's been interesting for me because some of the people who have really suffered have suffered because they panicked you know it's a bit like if you ever if you ever speak to like a swimming instructor 
they always say if you, think, if, if you can't swim and you're drowning never try and kick your legs and swim just float on your back and everyone who forgets to float on their back ends up drowning and sometimes even in a crisis just by holding your nerve a little bit and keeping calm and you know you know just getting a, a view of the land before you make any big decisions is often you know can often be your savior i mean look at the amount of companies that started cutting jobs and staff before furlough schemes and things like that had been announced that knee-jerk reaction was unnecessary and i think again that says a lot about a person how they react in a crisis well actually you, you mentioned earlier about um separating what you can control and what you can't control and that this theme keeps coming up and and really your analogy of you floating on the waves it's, it's basically you you can't fight something you can't control but just to give yourself a bit of time out to collect yourself and just calmly you know go with it um, and and make those smart choices um and it's that mindset thing of you know where are the opportunities you know and if you focus on the right things then good things happen if you focus on the negative things then you'll before you know it you're in this downward spiral um but no it's just interesting to kind of you know apply it to a real life context yeah i think it's also the difference between being curious and foolish yeah and a foolish person will drink every cup that they're handed but a curious person will take the cup and have a look in it to see what's in it before they drink it matt i just wanted to quickly touch on something that we spoke about on the phone last week and that you were saying, obviously, with lockdown and quarantine and people being on furlough, not being able to go out on weekends, we've been given this sort of gift of time. And it's really what you do with that time. Um, would you be able to just quickly touch on that subject for us? Yeah, you'll never get it back. It's like a once in a generation opportunity. So, you know, use it really, really wisely. You know, don't wait for the industry to change. Change just in case the industry doesn't change. So, you know, the sensible guys and girls that I've seen have um, have got their ducks in line. They've, they've sorted stuff out that they've been procrastinating about for the last five years. You know, they, they've actually looked at the business and seen whether, you know, there's fat in it or stuff that isn't working or products they're selling that aren't actually making them any profit. You know, and, and they're really kind of sorting themselves out so that post-corona or in the new world, whatever you want to call it, you know, they're ready. And, you know, preempting what's going to happen. So they're getting marketing campaigns ready just in case this happens and just in case that happens. So like all of our retail clients that are going to, that opened on Monday, all their marketing and PR was done weeks and weeks and weeks ago for the relaunch. You know, all of our entertainment and hospitality clients, their content and stuff was done weeks and weeks and weeks ago. You know, we're now doing Christmas, looking at Christmas and looking how we can maximize Christmas because we've had that you know you've had that run in and you've got you know you have that that time to think and that that again in the current world and environment that we live in thinking isn't valued so like you ask somebody a question if they don't know the answer you think they're thick and the, you know sometimes you need to go away you need to think and you need you know, especially with what we do in terms of creative or even a lawyer or accountant you know you need to think to be able to give the client the solution that they need that gives them the value and the end product that they're paying for. And when you have time like this, it gives you time to think. I remember like three months ago, if someone sent you an email, you'd start sweating if you hadn't replied in an hour. But now people aren't so hot in your tail for you to get back to them as quickly as possible. And lo and behold, when you do get back to them, you're actually giving them what they want rather than giving them something to just shut them up because they're chasing you. 
Okay. One one question that we we like to ask, I guess, on RocketPod is: um, if we could arrange for you to have a coffee with anybody, um, who would you choose and why? I think uh, I would probably choose my wife at the moment. Yeah, I'd probably choose my wife because you know she's homeschooling the kids. I'm running all the businesses, and sometimes we're like ships in the night. You know, I can start my calls at like seven in the morning, and sometimes they don't. Seriously, they don't finish. Sometimes to one o'clock in the morning when I've got someone in the States or someone in the Middle East who wants to talk to me or a client or whatever. So, you know, and I have the last three months, I've literally been head down, foot to the floor, doing great stuff at work. And I've probably neglected my home life a little bit. I'm probably a little bit guilty of that. So a coffee with the wife, I think, would be very beneficial. Brilliant. And if you could leave one final piece of advice for our audience, what would that be? I would ask the audience to sit down and write a list of every single dickhead in their life and give themselves three months to remove them. And I promise them that 12 months after the last dickhead has been removed, their net profit will have increased with double-digit percentage. And anybody who listens to this who follows that and it doesn't work, tell me and I will donate £100 to a charity of their choice. There you have it. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks, Harry. Brilliant. It's been amazing you having having you on the Rocket Pod today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Rocket Pod. Join us next week for episode 10 as we are sitting down with Bob Ferguson. Now, Bob Ferguson is a world-class professional speaking coach. He's done a bit of coaching for myself. I've seen him in action. It's definitely an episode you do not want to miss. He's going to give us some great insights into his techniques, some great insights into how he structures his speeches and some really great advice about how to improve your public speaking. Thank you as always to our awesome sponsor Flexi. Again, take control of your subscriptions. Download from the App Store today. That's flexiapp.uk, Flexi, spelled F-L-E-X-Y. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time.